All right. You guys can start making your way back to your seats once you grab the Bible. Um, for those of you that don't know me yet, my name is Joel. I'm here with you guys. Uh, we'll be teaching you Sundays and Wednesdays, and not to get me confused with Joe. So I'm Joel. He was Joe, right? That did announcements. Um, but just want to encourage you guys, uh, all the leaders here, we love you guys. Uh, we're here literally just for you uh, week after week. Uh, we want to know about you. We want to get to know you. Uh, we want to know things that you're going through, good and bad. Um, and so we're excited for that. Um, this morning, we're going to definitely get into the word. Um, you can expect from junior high, um, definitely that, that similar kind of worship where um, it's just intimate. It's just with the Lord, uh, like what we did. Announcements will be very similar to that. And then uh, the, a time in the Word, of course. Um, just as Joe was saying, uh, bring your own Bibles. Uh, we want to see you guys mark your Bibles up. I would encourage you to get a notebook um, so that, you know, we have the note paper for you guys, but even to get a notebook, that way you can kind of everything in one place and you just bring it with you on Sundays, bring it with you on Wednesdays. Uh, but learning God's word is what will make you grow in your relationship with the Lord. Um, I want to encourage you guys, you guys can put up your Bibles again. This is not just a book. Okay, I know you probably heard that most of your life. You can put them down. This is not just a magazine or a nice novel that someone wrote. It's not even, you know, a historical textbook. This is something altogether different. That is not a boring book, but it is uh, God's exciting word. And every time this is spoken, the Bible says that every time this is spoken, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God moves, that this is one of the ways that God desires to speak into your life, to, uh, to tell you things, to encourage you with things, to even uh, correct you at times with things. And so during this time that we come together, and it's something that your parents do, right? Um, every single Sunday that they're in the main sanctuary and Pastor Jack is the one teaching. And whenever there's a, a, a situation when God's word is being preached, God is on the move. And if you are willing and if you're open, God will speak directly to you, not just in general uh, truths, but specific things for your life, speaking into situations that, that you can relate to. I'm um, sorry to encourage you guys, whenever God's word is spoken, that you'd be attentive, uh, that you'd be really uh, listening. And that's why we're encouraging you to take notes, uh, because this, this is something serious. Uh, as much as we love to have fun and we're going to continue and um, but what we do take God's word in a very serious way here, um, because we believe that when this is spoken, that it really is God's word. Um, and that's what the Bible says. And so take notes, listen, be reading along, um, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Sound good? You guys good? Okay. Everyone go like this. You got to get the wiggles out a little bit. Okay. I also want to um, just ask you guys, if there, if there is something, Joe kind of made mention of it, if there is something that stands out, um, this doesn't have to just be me speaking up here, okay? But there's going to be times where I ask you a question. Don't be afraid just to raise your hand and, and let me know. If there's something that stands out, give me a little amen. Give me a little hallelujah, okay? We can get a little Pentecostal up in here. It's good. Uh, everyone go like, amen. Amen. No, but you got to do it like from your belly, okay? You got to do it from the belly up. I mean, you got to be like, Amen. So if something like sticks out, it's like, yeah, like don't be afraid to just give, even no one else is doing it. You just say, you say, amen, say hallelujah, okay? Um, talk with me a little bit. If you guys have questions, uh, feel free to raise your hands. I'll do my best as long as it pertains to the message. 
um, to, to answer them. Sound good? Okay, this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 17, and then we'll hit also 34 and 35. As you can see, the title of the message is One Another. Um, you can write that down, and uh, just as a way of introduction, a couple questions for you guys. Uh, if you're playing sports, how do you identify uh, who the opposition is? How do you identify who to try to score against? Who is your opponent and how do you know that they're your opponent? What, what identifies them as that? Yeah. Yeah. Usually it's their, their jersey, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You guys would agree that usually for the opposition, they, they have a distinction by their jersey, right? By their, maybe their hat or their color, that there's that identifying mark that knows, okay, like that's what team they're on. Or even when you're watching sports, you can tell, okay, yeah, the Dodgers are blue, Angels are red, got it. They are, they are playing against each other, right? Uh, any of you guys ever played laser tag before? So how do you know who not to shoot? Yeah. Okay, so sometimes you can recognize it by that, but typically if, if no one's shooting at all and you're like, okay, you're trying to figure out who, who I can shoot, who are you supposed to shoot at? How do you know? Yeah. Jerseys, okay. Typically just some kind of like, they have light up, right? And it's like, they're the green team. And so you're like, okay, that's on my team. I'm gonna shoot the red team. But there's these different identifying marks, right? When you see a police officer, you can know their police officer because of their badge, because of their, uh, their um, suit that they wear, because of their car. You're like, okay, that guy's probably a police officer because he has everything an officer has, right? And so for the Christian, though, you and I also have a mark of identification. We have something that not only the world should be able to look at, but also just us. There is something that marks us different than the world, that makes us different than a non-believer. And we're going to look at that mark today. Does that make sense? We'll find out what it is. But John 13, uh, we're, we're coming into this, this chapter, um, and things during this time uh, are really heating up. Um, this is towards the end of Jesus's uh, earthly ministry. He's soon, uh, the cross is really close. Um, he did something called the triumphal entry, which is something that you and I celebrate on Palm Sunday. And so he's, he's, he's there, but uh, the religious leaders at this time, the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, they're really starting to get more and more upset. They're beginning to plan and plot Jesus's death, that they don't want him around because the things that he is teaching are against the things that they are teaching, and they're contrary to one another. And so daily during this, during this time leading up to John chapter 13, Jesus is going into the temple, and he's teaching, and he's, and he's, and he's preaching, and he's healing people. And, uh, and the religious leaders, they see this at the time. And so we know that they have been planning and plotting. And then we know Mr. Judas goes and betrays Jesus. And so this right here, we come into John chapter 13, the night uh, before he is taken. Well, actually that, that same night slash morning. That before he knows that he's going to be taken and illegally um, and unjustly condemned, he wants to have one last meal with the disciples before he is gone. 
And so we see that start in John chapter 13. It's what you and I know as the Last Supper. You guys ever heard of it? This is it. And this is the beginning. And so we're going to look at this. And uh, I just want to uh, say ahead of time, as you guys are taking notes, um, typically within different messages that we'll do here on Sundays and Wednesdays, there'll be different points. Uh, When I say points, I mean kind of main themes as we go through the text, uh, as we go through the different, the section of scripture we'll have. And so I would um, advise you guys to just write that down. You can go to the next slide. Uh, And then the next slide, one more, sorry. There you go. So that's the first point today. It's that Jesus loved them. Uh, This was the very first thing uh, that we're going to look at today. And so you can just put emboldened, uh, you can put Jesus loved them, and you can put verses one through three. That's kind of how you can take notes. And then anything that I talk about within this section, you can kind of write notes on. Does that make sense? So let's read it together. John chapter 13. You guys there? If you're at John chapter 13, I want you to say word. All right, John 13, verses 1 through 3. Look at me. Or sorry, don't look at me. Look at your Bibles. Let's read this. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended... The devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at this today, okay? God, we come before you, and we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that you would even want to speak to us this morning, that to think that you are here in this place, and you're, you're ready. You're ready to... Uh, come into our lives and, and change us and mold us and shape us, that we would be more like Jesus. And so we pray this morning that uh, you would help us to have open hearts. You would help us to be sensitive to what you want, that when we begin to get distracted, that you would keep us fo- excuse me, focused. When we start to think about other things, that you would help us think of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see within these first three verses that it's kind of the stage setting. You can write that down. It's kind of uh, the scene setting in a sense where we haven't seen uh, what actually is going to take place, but it kind of gives some background of what's going on. And it, and it says this, if you look in verse one, it says that Jesus, he loved them to the end, that he loved them to the end. And Jesus loved his disciples and he showed it. He wasn't just using them to build a kingdom, but he was pouring his life into them. Do you guys know what it means to use somebody? Typically, right, if if someone is just being, they're just using that person, it means they don't really care about the person. They're just using them uh, to get to uh, their their desired end, right? They say, okay, I'm just going to use this person in this way, and then I'm going to kind of not care. But Jesus is not just using his disciples. He's loved them. He's shown that over the last three years, and it says that he's loved them to the end, meaning from the point that he called them to now when he knows that his time is about to end with his disciples, that he's loved them to the end. I want to ask you guys a question. Do you think the disciples knew that Jesus loved them? What do you guys think? Yeah, I think so as well. But let me ask you another question. How do you know if someone loves you? What are some practical ways if I asked you, how, how do you know if someone loves you? What would you say? 
You raise your hand. Yeah. They take care of you? Okay, what are some other ways? Did you have one, dude? Yeah, for sure. Yep. They have your best interests in mind. What are some other ways that you can tell that someone loves you? Yeah. Yeah, so they're like, they're actually spend time with you for sure. Yeah. They care for you. Okay, and what, what kind of ways did they care for you? It's all good if you, if you can't think of anything. Yeah. When you're sick, okay, they bring you some chicken noodle soup, right, for sure. Yeah, these are, these are different ways that you can tell that, you know, someone, someone loves you. And I think, I think one of you guys hit it for sure. It's, I think more than anything, it's time, right, that he showed and he displayed to the disciples over that period of time that he spent with, with them uh, that he loved them. I mean, think about it. He is the one who, who called them to follow him. He is the one who brought them along everywhere he went. He taught them. He was patient with them. He served them. He was with them. He even comes to this point where he, even though he is the Lord and he is the master, that he tells him, he says, I no longer just consider you servants, but I actually consider you friends. That there is this relationship that had been developed between Jesus and the disciples. And I think, I'd agree with you guys, I think they knew it. I think if you ask Peter, if you ask John, especially John, he even refers to himself as the one who God loves. Like he, he definitely knew it. And so we see here within this first section, we, we get this kind of um, notion that Jesus really loved the disciples. And uh, even, even Judas, he even loved Judas. We see here, verse two, that Satan though was already at work in Judas. If you look in verse two in your Bibles, it says that the devil having already put it in his heart, that Jesus still loved him, even though Judas had not just a greedy heart, but he had ultimately a betraying heart. And Jesus, though, he knew everything was going on. The Bible says that he knew where he was going, what the plan was, and he wasn't, he wasn't unaware of these things. And so we see uh, just the foundation of what we're about to go into, that Jesus loved them. Everyone say, Jesus loved them. He loved them. Point number two, Jesus served them. Jesus served them. You can write it down. We're going to see this in verses 4 through 11, that he, that he showed it. You can go back a couple slides, Kayla. That Jesus, no, one more, sorry. I just leave it like that. There you go. Jesus loved the, nope, one more. <laughs> so go forward, stop. There you go. Jesus served them, verses four through 11. Now we sort of seen, we kind of see here, scene one begin to uh, commence. It kind of opens up this last supper that we see that's going on. So look with your Bibles in me, with me, verse 4 through 11. The Bible says here that Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments, that he took a towel and girded himself, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered and said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed 
needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. And we kind of see two parts here. We see the scene kind of opens with Jesus getting a towel, getting some water, and beginning to get on his knees. And we also see that interaction with Peter. But Jesus does something that was extremely unusual at this time. Everyone say unusual. This was very unusual for someone like Jesus to do. And what do I mean like Jesus? Well, Jesus was the leader, right? He was the teacher. They would call him rabbi. They would call him Lord, meaning Lord, meaning I will do whatever you say. They called him master, that he was in that position of absolute authority. Yet, he does something unusual. We see here that Jesus takes the place of a servant. Uh, and now, you guys know what cus, uh, like, um, a custom is? Like, if a culture has a certain type of custom? There's all different types of cultures over the world, right? And different cultures have different customs. Where a lot of customs maybe have um, one of their traditions that they do is before you walk inside the house, you take off your shoes, right? We were just in Hawaii, and that was one of the, the things that was on almost all, all the doors of any kind of home. It would say, mahalo, please, uh, you know, please remove your shoes. And it, you know, mahalo means thank you. And so it was like thanking you in advance for removing your shoes. And that's very common in Asian cultures and, and all kinds. Maybe that's even for you at home. That's like a rule in your house. Um, and for, for the culture at this time, uh, within Jewish culture, uh, hospitality was really big back in the day. Do you guys know what hospitality means? It means when someone comes into your home, you take care of them, right? You, you make sure that they're comfortable. You make sure that they don't need anything. And one of the customs back then uh, was when, when you entered someone's house, you not only removed your shoes, but one of two things would typically take place. Number one, there would be a hired servant or a slave there to actually wash your feet. That as you step inside, there'd be someone to kind of, you know, wash your feet. Secondly, if they didn't have enough money for a hired servant or a slave, uh, the master of the house, the person, who, the, the homeowner, would at least have a bowl of water and, a, and, a, and some towels for you to be able to wash your own feet. And this can be odd to you and I. He's like, well, why, why wash their feet? Like, did they not take a shower the day before? Like, what's going on here? And this can be odd to us because you and I now wear something called shoes, right? We wear shoes typically. Now, you know, I, I, if I could wear rainbows every day, I would. Rainbows are sandals for those of you that don't know. They're awesome. However, back then, they didn't, they didn't have the option to wear shoes. And the other thing, and why this can seem odd to you and I, is that you and I now have something called sidewalks. You guys know what sidewalks are? You know, where it's, it's paved, nice, and there's typically not a lot of dirt. Well, back then, they just pretty much had dirt roads. And so when they were to, even, even if they were to go across the street to, you know, their friend's house, that they would have their sandals and a lot of dirt, which, meaning, which means their feet would be extremely dirty. And so um, this was one of the traditions then. And so this would honestly typically even be in the interest of the homeowner, meaning because their feet were so dirty, you wouldn't want them tracking all that stuff all throughout the house, right? But I think it's interesting because Jesus was not the homeowner here, nor was he the slave. Yet he takes this unique position. He does something 
that is unusual. He begins to wash their feet. He begins to wash their feet, and it is a sign of service. He is taking the place of the servant, uh, of the servant. and the Bible gives us amazing imagery. Look at verse 4 and 5 in your Bible. It, de- it depicts it, the, the picture for us perfectly. It says that he rises from supper, so you can imagine a, you know, um, some type of table layout. They're not sitting on chairs. They're typically on some kind of like pillows. They're kind of relaxed back, uh, different back then, lower to the ground. And it says that Jesus stands up, that he, he takes off his outer garment, meaning his robe. He still had clothes on, but he takes out kind of his, his outer garment. He didn't want to get it messed up in what he was doing. And then he, the Bible says that he takes a towel. And it says that he, he takes a towel and he, and he girds it around his waist. You're like, what the heck is gird? It basically means he ties it around his waist. Kind of like if you guys are at the beach, you know, when you tie the towel around, around your waist. He does that. But what's interesting about this is that is what the slaves would wear. The slaves would typically have a towel around them. It was their apparel to show kind of servitude, and they would use the towel to clean things. And so that's exactly what Jesus takes the place of. It says that he gets a big bowl, and he pours the water into this basin, this bowl of water, and he takes the bowl, and then he, he kneels down before each disciple. And he has the bowl. He has his towel, right? He takes their foot, puts it in the bowl, and begins to wash the dirt off their feet. He removes their feet from the, from the water, and then he takes the towel with which he's tied around his waist and begins to dry their feet off. One after one after one after one, until he reached all 12 disciples. And you got to think, like, what were the disciples thinking during this time, right? I'm sure they were taken aback. We see this interaction with Peter where he's like, whoa, what are you doing washing my feet? Like, I should be washing your feet. This is weird. Don't do that. And we see that interaction with Peter. I'm sure some of them were asking, why, why is he acting like he works here? He doesn't have to do that. We sh- if anything, we as the disciples should be doing that for him. Yet Jesus continues. I'm sure they were taken aback. They were like, what's, what's the catch here? What is, what is Jesus doing? Yet Jesus is simply doing what he came to do, and that is to serve. He's to be here on behalf of others and not himself. You can look on the screen, Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, 25 through 28. Uh, whenever there's a verse reference on, on the screen, uh, don't write the whole verse, because that would be, that'd be a lot. That's a lot of words. Would you agree? So don't write the whole verse. Just write the verse reference, and then you can write like kind of bullet points of different things that stand out to you. So you can write like, you know, service or uh, greater or different words that you might, things that might stand out. Matthew chapter 20 comes to us after a conversation between James, John, and uh, James and John's mother, that they get their, their um, mom and themselves, and they come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, uh, we want to be on your right and your left hand in heaven. Basically, they're saying, we want the best position we possibly can get. We want the best seats in heaven. Can we, can we, can we get that? They wanted to and when, he, when it speaks of seats, the right and left hand sitting at the, it speaks of authority. It speaks of power that they wanted to be, in a sense, the greatest in heaven. But Jesus says this. He not only says this to James and John, but he says, I'm going to take this as a lesson. And he begins to speak to all of the disciples. And look up on the screen, it says, but Jesus called to them to himself and said, 
You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Meaning, you know the kings and the emperors and the different governors in our nation, they have power and they they abuse it. They lord it over the people, meaning they tell them what to do and they serve them. But then he says this, he says, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, he addresses this, that Jesus sets the bar differently. And this is true even within our our culture, that people with power, they typically use it so that they can be served. Now, some people don't, uh, but the majority within our world, they do this. When people have power, they can't typically handle it. They, They would never serve. It doesn't make sense. They have the power so that they are now served. But Jesus says, within the kingdom of God, it's different. It's actually flip-flopped. That if you want to be the greatest, then you have to be the servant of all. One of the craziest things is that Jesus is going around. He has that interaction with Peter. But to think that Judas was in the midst of them. That Jesus got down on a knee and began to wash Judas's feet. You see, Jesus was not unaware at this time. He knew what was going on. He knew what was in the heart of Judas, what he had been planning and his greediness, he knew. Yet he washed his feet anyway. An amazing example for you and for me. But now, do you think this is about feet washing or do you think it's about something much bigger? It's about something much bigger. It's not that Jesus today wants us to grab some bowls and some you know, towels and start washing each other's feet. But I think we're gonna do that today anyway. Does that sound good? No? No, we're not gonna do that. I know most of you guys don't like feet, but you see, it's not about the feet washing. It is not about the act that Jesus does, but it is about the attitude that Jesus has. You guys catch that? It's not about the act. It is about the attitude that he was willing to take that place. And we're going to see right now that Jesus is using this. He's displaying this to teach them something. All right? All right, now everyone sit up straight. Everyone scoot scoot up. Anyone slouching, get back. It's not good for your back. Okay. Third point, okay? You ready for it? Not only did Jesus love them, we see that, Jesus served them, but now he uses this opportunity to teach them, that Jesus taught them. And we're gonna see this in verses 12 through 17. You guys good? You following? Anyone like so lost? You're like, I have no idea what this guy's talking about? Okay, good. We're all in the same boat. Look at verse 12 with me, and we're gonna read down to verse 17. Says, the Bible says here, verse 12, so when he had washed their feet, taken his, his garments and sat down again, he said to them. So Jesus finishes up. He takes the towel off, puts his, his, gar, his outer garment back on, and he sits back down with the 12. And then he looks at them and he says to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We kind of see two 
uh, begin to take way here, that he, he moves from the service, the display, and he moves to the teaching. See, Jesus sits back down and he begins to look at the disciples and he, and he asks them a rhetorical question. Do you guys know what a rhetorical question is? What's a rhetorical question? Someone raise their hand. Yeah. Yeah, it's not meant to be answered. This was never intended. He, said, he looks at them, he says, do you know what I've done for you? Do you know what I have done for you? Know means understand. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? He's looking to the disciples and he says, do you get it? He's saying, do you get the full extent? Are you getting the lesson? Do you understand? And then he he begins to explain it. Because haven't you seen the disciples are pretty slow to understand at times? Right? He teaches them, and then he has to teach them again and again and again. And so Jesus wants to make sure they don't miss it. And so he begins to explain, and he, he brings in some logic and reason. Everyone say logic and reason. Write it down. He uses logic and reason to explain what he was doing. He says, check this out. He says, if I'm your teacher meaning I am above you in a sense. I am, if I am your Lord, the one that you call master, so I am higher in authority, if I come down here and begin to serve you, then how much more should you not turn and serve one another? He's using, it makes sense. Doesn't that make sense? He's using reason. It, that's reasonable. That's logical. It makes sense. His example completely makes sense. And he says, I am your example. Look at verse 15. He says, for I have given you an example. Example, it means pattern or model. You can write that down. Example means pattern or model that we are to look at what Jesus does here in John 13 and use it as our model. Meaning we are to model that. We are to pattern that. We are to now implement that into our lives and do as he did. You guys ever heard of what would Jesus do? WWJD? Uh, I don't know if, who has not heard of that? Raise your hand. Okay. Some of you guys. Uh, what would Jesus do? They're big thing, big bracelets back in the day. I have no idea when. Um, but what would Jesus do? But the cool thing about WWJD is that we know what Jesus would do. We do. We have enough scripture to be able to know Jesus's nature and character to say, yep, this is what he would do in this situation. And we know that he would serve. We know that he would love. We know the things that he would do. And so Jesus goes back again to using uh, this logic and reason. He says, look, the servant is not greater than the master. And we know that. The servant is not greater than the master. And so if Jesus is our Lord, and if he did them, then they weren't above him, nor should they be above us. And then verse 17, he ends this section. Look at verse 17 in your Bibles. He, he has the big if, is what I like to call it. The big if. He says, if, it's a really big one. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You see, at this point, the disciples know you could go into the room and say, hey, do you know what you're supposed to do? And they say, yeah, we're supposed to serve one another. We're supposed to love one another. This is what he told us to do. Okay, 
You see, the blessing, though, does not come until the knowing comes to the actual doing. You see, he displayed it to them, but then he explains it to them. But they have to go from knowing this to actually doing this. And this is where the application comes in for you and I. That if you know what to do, that's good. That's a good thing. And we need to continue growing in our knowledge. And maybe even on this subject, you are even able to write a paper on it, or you're able to uh, give a teaching on it. And that's awesome. But the question this afternoon is, are you doing it? I want you to write that down. Are you doing it? Would you say that you're following after the footsteps, the example that Jesus has set for us, even for people in this room? I mean, I want you to look around. I know this is our first time uh, together in this type of setting, but you guys have grown up with each other. You, I'm sure you have, you know, might recognize some faces, know some people. Are we serving one another? Are we doing what Jesus said? Well, Jesus ends here uh, with the commandment, with a commandment. Fourth and final point this morning that Jesus commanded them. If you look at verse 34 with me in your Bibles, we're going to jump a little bit, that section from 18 to all the way to 33. And verse 34 is two verses. It says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that example, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And he talks about this new commandment to love one another. And you're like, wait, that's not anything new. The Old Testament talks about loving one another. So then what's new about it? Well, it's that Jesus is the example for how we should love one another. That just as he displayed that love to the disciples, that we are to display that love for each other. And, and he says here, verse 35, and this is, this is where the theme of the, the teaching comes from, that mark of the believer. It says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What's the identifying mark of a believer? What, are, what should be the mark for which people are able to distinguish us and, and we're to have um, a separation? What's the difference between you and and someone that does not believe in Jesus, that does not follow him. It should be love. It should be the identifying marker. Does that make sense? That's what it should be. It should be love. And 1 John 3, 14 says this, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. And this is, this is even for you and I to be able to look. We're to look at our lives and see that okay, we, we, I'm loving my brothers and my sister. This is a mark. This is how we should be able to even, uh, even more so know that we're saved, that we're, that we're there, that it's the evidence, the fruit thereof. And we're not going to look at it today, but Jesus, just a little while from here, in John chapter 15, uh, you can go to the next slide. We won't read this today. But within this section, you can write it down and look at it later if you want. Jesus describes to the disciples, just a couple chapters later, same setting, same Last Supper, and he says, hey, the greatest act of love that you could show for one another, he gives them some practicality. He says, the greatest thing that you could do for someone is is to give your life for them. And he's talking about physically. Like a situation where if it's your life for someone else's, the, the greatest act of love you could show another is to say, no, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna die in their place so that they can live. We know that Jesus eventually goes on to do this. And maybe, maybe you've seen the movies, maybe you haven't, uh, but it does happen in real life where you know someone uh, in battle and there's soldiers around and there's a grenade that's thrown. And so one of the soldiers decides to give up his own life without even thinking he jumps on the grenade. The, the implosion of the grenade kills the guy but saves those that are around him. It's an act of love. It's an act of self-sacrifice. And that's what love is. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 describes as love. But as I was thinking and meditating through this, you see, how often for the average Christian does this come up? How often has it come up that, you're, that you would be able to decide your life for someone else's? I would say it's a pretty rare act because honestly, it would actually only happen once for you. Because once you give your life, you're, you're dead now and you're in heaven or wherever, right? And so the greatest act of love is giving up your life for someone, but that's, that actual act is something that's rare. And so what does that look like, though? What is the concept here for you and I? It's to consider what love really is. Love is that which considers not his own life, but considers other people's that would put your life ahead of someone else's. And we might say to one another, we may, I could say to you, um, you know, I could say to my wife, I could say, Haley, I love you. I would give my life for you. Right? And I could say that to her. She's back there, by the way. That's my wife in the white. And I could say, I love you, Haley. I would give my life no matter what. And then she's like, oh, do you think you could give me a cup of water? I'm like, no, no way. And you're like, wait, so you give your life, but you can't serve her? See, the two don't go together. I can say I would give my life, but how I show that I would actually give my life is giving my life while I'm alive, meaning serving her, giving up what I actually want to do. That's how we can do that on a practical level. It's interesting. We'll close with this. John chapter 17. You can look at it later. John chapter 17, he ends the Last Supper, not with teaching not with preaching, not with serving. He ends it praying for the disciples. It's the last act that he does for the disciples before he goes to the cross, ultimately to give his life. And I believe there's a model here for us. That second to actually giving your life for someone else's, the second greatest act that you can do for someone is pray for them. You're like, that sounds cheesy. I believe it's true. To be concerned for someone's spiritual life, to be concerned with someone's relationship with God, that is something personal and intimate and takes sacrifice on the part of the person that's asking. And I believe if you want to show love for someone more than getting them a glass of water, and even for, you know, more than meeting the physical need, is meeting the spiritual need, is sharing with them, is praying with them.